0: Green is good, red is bad. My followers get $20 off their first ticket purchase using my code, InjuredListPod. Click on the link in the show notes and browse for your favorite events. Your next big night ever is waiting and
1: they have the tickets.
0: Tune in and listen to the Injured List Podcast, hosted by me, Brian Scott. I'm a licensed full-time physician assistant in orthopedic surgery and sports medicine. I break down the latest in injury news regarding your favorite professional athletes each week throughout the year. I have all your major sports covered, from the NFL, MLB, NHL, MLS, and MMA. There is not a sport or an injury that I will not cover. Get the most up-to-date info in easy-to-understand non-medical language so you can make the better decisions when placing your bets or setting your fantasy lineups each week. Check out my website at TheInjuredList.com where you can message me ideas for topics or questions and listen to previous episodes where I interview former athletes and healthcare professionals to talk about their experiences with sports injuries. Green is good, red is bad. My followers get $20 off their first ticket purchase using my code, InjuredListPod. Click on the link in the show notes and browse for your favorite events. Your next big night ever is waiting, and they have the tickets.
1: Welcome to the InjuredListPod.
0: Hey, everybody. What's up? Brian Scott, host of the Injured List podcast. Welcome to the show. We've got a little video action tonight, which is not usual for us here. And we've got a special guest and co-host joining us this evening as well. So without further ado, let me bring in Jim Rogers. He is one of our interns over at Belly Up Media and a sports expert by his own definition. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hi. I, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for throwing around that sports expert sharing with my name. That, that means a lot.
0: <laughs> so we have had a little discussion before the recording here to discuss some topics. And you had a great topic I suggestion and we're going to take it and run with it this evening. And I hope everyone finds it as entertaining as we do chatting about it. And the topic is going to center around athletes, who had their injury either cut short or by injury or who had their careers, I'm sorry, cut short by injury or athletes who were up and coming, maybe promising and then got their careers ended prematurely because of injury or superstars who may actually have succeeded even more above and beyond what they've already done because of injury. So um, I'll get it started because I know, I think the one name that comes to everybody's mind is obviously Bo Jackson.
2: Yeah, I think the thing um uh, for me is obviously I didn't grow up watching Bo Jackson. I first heard about Jackson his injury actually from playing uh, Madden Mobile back in high school. So uh, <laughs> freshman year of high school, all of us just wanted like a cool game to play. Sure. So we all started playing Madden Mobile and this is for all the people watching to you know how good Madden Mobile used to be. It was in my opinion it was better than even the uh, the console game. Yeah. Um but of course towards the end of the year they start to release all these really cool players. The part of the season goes along, the better the cars are. So Bojack and one of those looked into Bojack and watched the 30 for 30 on ESPN. You don't know Bo. And I thought, Oh my gosh, like who is this guy? And, and I had no idea about him. And then the last like 20 minutes of the, um, of the, uh, 30 for 30, I learned about his injury. And for me, he's always, of course, I think for a lot of sports fans, he's one of the big, what if. And, um, so
0: that's why I guess uh, I wanted to talk about him uh, with you. Yeah, you know, uh, I I I'm not going to get into how old I am exactly, but as you can see by the video, I've got some thinning gray hairs up top, and I'm sure I've got a few years on you, Jim. So, you know, I vividly remember Bo um, in in the All Star game climbing the wall to make an amazing catch, uh, smashing a couple of home runs, um, watching him on the football field just just kind of blast through people and pull away. Uh, on, you know, super long scanters down the field and how nobody could catch him. The guy was untouchable, probably one of the best two sport athletes ever, if not the best, um, almost uh, without a doubt during my generation. And that injury, I can remember to this day, I can see the replay still in my head, was very, very violent. And knowing what I know now, doing what I do, um, it was really bad. And it was really bad right At that moment, because you can actually see his hip dislocate. And the worst part about his injury, because we've had players dislocate their hip and come back to uh, Tagovailoa being the most recent one that I can think of off the top of my head, who did it in college uh, not that long ago and is now currently the starting quarterback for the Dolphins. Well, the issue with Bo Jackson's injury was that he also fractured a portion of the hip and I believe the acetabulum which is the socket part of your hip. Now, anytime you dislocate your hip or potentially fracture it, you risk damaging the nutrient vessels that basically supply blood to the ball part of the hip joint, which is a ball and socket. And so if the ball part of the hip uh, loses that blood supply, that bone essentially just dies. And sometimes you don't know that that has happened at, immediately at the time of injury. Sometimes it takes a while for that to manifest. And I had mentioned this when Mm -hmm. I did the Tua Tungavailoa uh, topic on one of my previous episodes. And that's why, you know, I was so concerned about his injury was because even with a dislocation, even if there's no fracture, that risk is still there that the blood vessels were damaged. And the inevitable outcome is what happened above. His hip basically died. He ended up having to have a hip replacement done at a very young age. He was, he couldn't have, I can't remember exactly how old he was probably his late 20s or early 30s.
2: He was 28. 28, yeah, there you yeah. go. I mean, so he was yeah, 28 years old.
0: Yeah, and that's like that's basically the end. Like you're never going to play football again once that happens. Um, you know, so Tua escaped pretty major complication from his injury and he got very lucky. Uh Bo was not so fortunate and um it allowed him to play baseball for a little while afterwards, but he was never ever the same again. Um in fact, um, yeah, he talks about it quite openly on some uh, interviews that he's done and stuff over the years.
2: Yeah, I think what what, what I've uh, what I remember from the 30 for 30 is of course uh, all the people who they had brought on who were either teammates of Bo Jackson, fans of him at the time, or then even researched the episode after the injury. They said you know he had to quit he had to quit football, of course, but in baseball, like you said, he just wasn't the same. There were flashes of his yeah. former self where you would see him, uh, you know. Whip a ball from from uh from the outfield back into the infield, or he would have you know he'd be able to beat out um what appeared to be let's say just a typical you know throw to first or something like that. But it was just never the consistent level of athleticism that everybody was used to seeing uh, him produce. Yeah. And um, yeah, I I think what I also remember too, and and uh, mentioned because you're able to I guess pick up on that injury in the footage, but. He even talks about that once he, he realized what had happened, realized that he had dislocated a hip, he rolled over onto his stomach, um, relocating the hip, like putting it back in the socket, uh, but then he just knew that something was wrong. Um, and that's so insane there, to me. Have you ever <laughs> encountered... Yeah,
0: uh, like yeah. The fact that he was that, able that, to do that okay, to himself is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, yeah. Now, a native hip, which is what he had, obviously, because he didn't have it replaced until after the injury, It typically uh, is a little bit more difficult to reduce, um, but the sooner, the quicker you're able to do that, then the easier it goes in. Does that make sense? So, if for some reason it didn't go in, like if you look at Tua, they—I don't even know if they reduced his on the field. They may have had to take him to the hospital to do it, because once that hip joint pops out, you start getting a lot of muscle spasms. Everything kind of gets tightened, tightened up around the joint. There, you get swelling that creeps in, and if you can't get pop that joint back into place. Uh, right away, then you're in big trouble and you're going to need to go to a, a, a medical facility to have it done. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, Bo was lucky to be able to do that, to be honest, but I'm not surprised. I mean, the dude was yeah. such a stud athlete. Uh, I mean, his his pain threshold is probably on a different level uh, compared to you and I. But um, yeah, yeah you know, I, I believe it. And and speaking of two sport athletes, uh, Deion Sanders, probably a, a very close second to Bo. Um, You know, people would argue that he was just as good. Um, I'm not so sure of that, but uh, he was super talented at baseball and football as well. They played different positions, so it was a little bit hard to kind of uh, compare, in my opinion, but Dion's career, as stellar as it was for as long as it was, he actually played through a really nasty, great toe injury. He basically had a really bad uh, case of turf toe that he tried to play through for many years, had multiple surgeries on it, and Basically, he's developed a really severely arthritic uh, toe uh, on his foot, and you know, even he'll tell you, like it probably slowed him down a step or two. Which, for Dion, is still faster than most, but it it probably derailed his career a little bit toward the end. He probably would have been a little bit more mobile, might have been able to do a little bit more as he got toward the tail end of his career. And he again talks about it very openly on interviews. He's actually been on some sports talk shows and shown people his toe to show them how jacked it up it, it actually is, which is well, kind of I funny. Mean,
2: yeah, I mean, he got, didn't he just get his toe amputated too, the one you're talking about?
0: Um, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't heard that. He, he, I know he had a nasty infection, and that's why he was uh, using that uh, motorized wheelchair on the sideline over there at Jackson, right. uh, Jackson State. Um, he might have had it amputated. I mean, if the infection was that bad, it's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know the extent of it. I haven't seen, seen all of it. I just know that he had like a really nasty infection, and I don't know if that was because he had a surgery either to fuse it or, or try to do some, you know, treat it, that just kind of went wrong, which is possible. A lot of times if the toe is that damaged over the years and has developed significant arthritis, we'll, we'll fuse that joint. um, So that way, we basically take away the pain. But in doing that, you have to put hardware in there. And if that hardware gets infected, then this is sometimes what happens, you end up having to either amputate the toe or do some type of drastic measures to eradicate the infection, which um, may have been the case. And I don't know for sure. I haven't confirmed it or read about it, but I mean that's possible.
2: Yeah, I, I yeah, I just looked it up, and it was actually back on March sixteenth. He yeah. had two toes on his left foot amputated, mm-hmm. um, and it says too that you know it was just from a long history of you know him injuring those toes and having that turf toe. Yep. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you something too. Now that we're kind of talking about, I guess on the subject of turf toe, mm-hmm. so I'm from uh, I'm from Alpharetta, Georgia. Okay. Which um, anybody who is from Alpharetta, Georgia will tell you they're from Atlanta. We are not from Atlanta. <laughs> we are from Alpharetta. Okay, good uh, but to know. People from Alpharetta claim Atlanta, but I'm a big Georgia sports fan. So yeah. uh, Julio Jones has been my favorite my favorite NFL player probably of all time. Um, and something that he has been plagued with probably the last especially five, six years of his career has been reoccurring toe injuries, hip injuries, ankle injuries, and I have some, I think I saw somebody on TikTok talking about how it's because he runs on the front of his foot, which puts a lot of pressure on his toes, which causes him to, I, bet, I guess, suffer stress fractures, that type of stuff. But looking at somebody like Julio Jones who suffers from stuff like that in turf what is usually kind of the um, recovery process for somebody who is a habitual uh, turf uh sufferer?
0: Well, uh, it's, it's, that's not a simple answer, um, unfortunately, because uh, turf toe problems, um, if they linger or become repetitive, can eventually cause the athlete to have to require surgery. The reason for that mm-hmm. is that a turf toe injury is, by by definition, a ligamentous injury of the joint, a certain part of the area of that joint in the big toe where the toe meets mm-hmm. the metatarsal region. And that joint is exceptionally important in biomechanics, being able to run, walk, pivot, plant your foot, change direction suddenly on a dime which is what athletes need to do play every every play. Right. And so you put a tremendous amount of stress on that joint as far as your body weight goes. So even just doing normal everyday activities that you and I do walking, going up stairs, ladders, things like that just you know, getting up on your toes to try and grab something off the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, this joint is super important in doing all those things. So repetitive injuries to the joint, especially of the ligamentous nature like a turf toe Um, Eventually, the the toe becomes super unstable and painful and then eventually can lead to really advanced early onset arthritis or some other fractures or other things. So these are things that are not often left untreated or athletes are not often left or made to go play through this injury. It usually shuts them down. And Dion, you know, shows you the exact reason why. Because if you don't, this is how your toe is going to end up, you know. 15, 10, 15 years from now. So you have to really weigh and balance out the risks versus the benefits and look at their long term health as well, not just on the field, but off. So it puts us healthcare providers in a very unique situation, very, you know, having to balance the two. So in Julio Jones's case, you know, some of it mechanics and biomechanics in the running, you know, there's always going to be people with more flat feet, people with higher arches, people who walk more on the outside of their foot you know, people who are a little bit more bowed at the knee or or have different kind of angles from the hips down. So all those things are taken into consideration when these professional athletes, and I I like professional because most of us amateur athletes or recreational athletes do not have these type of resources that available. But these guys are looked at, examined. They're taken through physical tests. I mean, they're like looked at like, like cattle. I mean, they're examined from head to toe. And if they see any... Issues that they can prevent as they go through their career, they usually address it before it becomes a problem. So my guess is mm-hmm. that this is an issue that Julio Jones probably people knew or may have been he may have been susceptible to long before he became an NFL player. Right. And despite trying to you know tweak things and um, provide some support, maybe in his shoes with orthotics or you know, a certain type of exercise program to strengthen certain groups of muscles so that he can be, you know, have a more balanced um, stride and everything. You still, are, you still are, are at risk for developing these injuries more so than another person who may not have those certain deformities or alignment issues. So th- these are things mm-hmm. that at the professional level are certainly addressed. You know, don't forget you've got athletic trainers, you've got strength and conditioning specialists. Most of them have staffed physical therapists. Right, If
2: you're, if you're, Desha- I mean, <laughs> if you're Deshaun Watson, you have an who can help That's you right.
0: Now. In many yeah. more ways than one, in fact. Um, exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like, they've got a plethora of healthcare people and experts who are watching and looking over them and trying to figure out what is the reason. Like, why does he keep having these problems, right? Why is it his hamstring that keeps right. having issues? Why Why does he keep having uh, stress fractures in his foot? So, um you know, it, it, as long as the players are compliant and listen to the resources that they have available to them, usually it doesn't become an issue. Now, Julio Jones is getting up there in his career. He's, he's not, you know, a rookie. He's been in the league for a while now. Right. And let's be honest, I mean, the, the average length of a football career is probably like five or six years um, nowadays. But even, you know, just 10, 15 years ago, it was like even less than that. So, and, um, right. you know, you're talking about a skilled position player and wide receiver. So the demands on his body are a lot different than it would be for a, you know, interior lineman or linebacker. You know, he's constantly having to go full speed, making sharp, quick cuts and turns on turf and, you know, natural grass and different surfaces and everything. So, you know, the the demands on the body are, are a little different based on the positions.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, I, I think that's what I've, I've really just kind of noticed about it is, you know, the like splash his last few years in Atlanta, I think missed probably about the same amount of games that he played in. And even when he did play, of course, all the announcers were talking about, oh, you know, he's rehabbing his injury still, or he had been gone the previous week and he had come back this week, but he's limited. So it's just, um, it just kind of seems that it's become a, um, uh, just kind of a repetitive problem for him. And, and although not career um, defining, or as, you know, none of this really occurred at the beginning of the career, this seems to be a career altering or potential career ending um set of uh, injuries for. Um but I guess the uh the next athlete that I think is a, a really good kind of example of these kind of career defining or career ending injuries is um Derrick Rose. And when you look at course, the course situation for Derek Rose's injury, um what do you see about it and what kind of makes it stand out to you as one of these um devastating injuries?
0: Well um From what I remember, and maybe you can shed some more light on this for me, but uh, he had, I mean, I remember watching him tear his ACL um, because right around the same time Iman Shumpert of the Knicks tore his ACL. And I think it was like in the early Mm -hmm. rounds of the playoffs that same year, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a year apart. I forget exactly. And the big thing when they was, why is Iman Shumpert back from his ACL like nine months or six or whatever months later? But Derrick Rose never did come back. And that was always the question sure. kind of in the papers and in the press and amongst fans. And, you know, when we talk about ACL injuries of the knee, the one thing that's very important to understand is that oftentimes when the ACL is injured, it's, it's only one part of the injury. A lot of times there are other structures in and around the knee that get injured at the same time. And it has to do with the mechanical forces that cause the injury and the structures that are in place to provide stability to the knee so that these things don't get hurt. And the ACL is the main one. It's one of the primary stabilizers of your knee. So once that ligament gets injured, then during that injury, and this is you know happening within milliseconds, um, there's a potential for other structures to get hurt because the ACL has been compromised. And so your knee is now not stable. And so one of the more common things that gets injured is uh, your medial collateral ligament, which is the ligament on the inside part of your knee, but also you get some type of cartilage injury, whether it be from the meniscus, which are the shock absorbers of the knee, or the actual articular Mm -hmm. cartilage, which is the stuff that covers the ends of the bones that allows your knee to, to glide nice and smooth when we bend and extend. So my guess is, and I forget exactly what his diagnosis was, but that he probably had some other structural injury to the knee, whether it be the meniscus or the cartilage. And this is very common with a lot of ACL injuries. And I think this is a big reason why nowadays we see guys kind of, you know, taking about a year, sometimes even a year and a half, especially with COVID. We saw a bunch of guys that had ACL injuries just take longer to get back because they didn't want to risk coming back too soon um, before COVID was over and potentially get another injury. And good examples of that would be clay Thompson of the warriors who unfortunately ruptured his Achilles, I think on the opposite side while he was in the midst of his recovery from an ACL, which is terrible. Um, Took him, set him back almost two seasons, uh, two years by the time he actually got back on the court. Um, And then another good example Mm -hmm. of that would be um, Odell Beckham jr. Who took a while to come back. Um, I think he was at like a nine month uh, return, which, which actually was not, Unreasonable and about right. But the downside is is he retore in the Super Bowl. And while a lot of people were surprised by that, I actually wasn't because the first two years after the initial ACL rupture and surgery is when we see the highest rate of reruptures, And so he fell right really? within that time frame. Yep. So huh. if it was going to happen again to the same knee, it was going to happen within the first two years, and it did in OBJ's situation, which is unfortunate for him. Um, my concern with him now becomes the same concerns I had with Derek Rose at the time of his, you know, did he sustain any other structural injuries to his knee that maybe the first time around right. he didn't? And so that's, you know, what you've got to really be concerned about. Now, um, and you can help me with this, the wide receiver sure. from uh, Oklahoma, who was drafted very high? Uh, Williams, I think, is the last name. Is that right?
2: Oh. Um,
0: yeah. And he was I mean, taken all, like in uh, the top 10. About,
2: uh, and when was this?
0: Uh, this just past draft, draft this, this, this year. Yeah. And um, he tore his uh, ACL in the uh,
2: championship game. Um, one of their. You're talking about. Is this the uh, Ohio Polo?
0: And this is why. This is why I don't, care. this is why I'm the injury guy, right? <laughs> because I can't remember all these people. <laughs> I, and I just don't have time to sift through the rosters and look at stats, <laughs> but, um, except for the teams I follow and, you know, that I'm a fan of, of course, but he, right. this particular player, and you can fill me on the name, uh, sure. when you find it, but he, uh, yeah. had, um, or I'm sorry, was it not, what I say? Oklahoma. I meant Alabama yeah i don't know what to talk about
2: okay you're talking about so you're talking about Jamison williams
0: James and williams yes thank you uh yeah. i don't know why i said oklahoma i always look at that think of the helmets and the color scheme and i always get the two
2: confused yeah i mean there's are similar <laughs> but uh I, you know i i've, I've grown up I'm, I'm I'm kind of in a weird spot because uh my dad is an alabama graduate an oh alabama geez fan, so i grew up watching alabama but i go to uta now oh no so i have to yeah it, it's tough because uh my friends think that I'm a closeted Bamba fan, but now I just had to, I've now had to like fully embrace uh, being a bulldog. You you got to
0: tiptoe that line at home.
2: (laughs) Oh, it's, it's man. It's mixed emotions. It was mixed emotions. of the SEC championship and the national championship game. But um, yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. But uh, (laughs) yes, Jamison Williams, you're talking about, he tore his, um, he tore his ACL in the national championship game. And then you had John Metchie who injured his, um, I, I forget what it was, but he had another injury. Um, I believe he tore his ACL too. After or, or is a, I'll look up his injury right now. I think he um, tore his ACL I'm too. I'm pretty sure he. Okay. Yeah. And he tore it around the, around the SEC Championship time, I believe. Correct.
0: I think it was a little earlier than the championship game. It was before the championship game.
2: Let's see here.
0: But so so uh, Williams. Yeah,
2: so John, Messi... Mm-hmm.
0: Well, so Williams had his. Uh, ACL reconstructed by um, Jim Andrews, Dr. Jim Andrews, who's down at Hell South um, in Birmingham. And he's a very highly regarded, one of the most famous sports uh, medicine orthopedic surgeons in the country because he's for many, many years treated a lot of high level athletes um, professionally. So he was the one who did his reconstructive surgery and reports in the press were that His camp, Dr. Andrew's camp, were the ones who were saying that Williams had an isolated ACL injury. And so when I heard that, if it's coming from them, then you can pretty much guarantee that that's what it was. And so, you know, I did a pre draft uh, injury analysis, like I try to do every year now for the last couple of years. And I, you know, I didn't think he would be a very um, risky draft pick. At where he went in the you know top ten in the lottery or whatever you want to call it you know yeah, I high first round
2: yeah the, uh,
0: because it yeah. you know coming off an isolated ACL I mean the techniques and the the way that we do the surgery and the the materials and stuff that we use nowadays you know you're looking at nine months he should be back and you know you can always push it out to a year there's no harm in doing that um, but if the guy feels good and he's ready to go which they're saying he's doing really well in his rehab then um you know uh, but again. I always have to go back. You know, you got to be careful. That first two-year window um, is, you know, you're still susceptible. So, you know, you try not to rush them back. You try to do everything you can to monitor them and make sure um, that, you know, they're they're at no greater risk than they were the first time. But you, there are some factors that are just not in anyone's control, and you can't really, you know, account for. So, but um,
2: yeah, and I guess the uh, the question I have too about recovering from the ACL injury. My sister actually um she used to play lacrosse and run cross country in high school and she has torn both her ACLs on both her knees while playing lacrosse and something that i guess was part of the recovery process for her kind of like what you mentioned now is whether or not the athlete feels well so um if somebody if, if you were to treat an athlete and you're now approaching kind of that eight months nine months period in the recovery process and the athlete is saying hey I'm feeling better, I'm feeling confident. i want to start you know working out i want to start increasing my breath or on this leg i want to increase the load on it um is is it more so the when it, when you hit that mark when you hit when you hit that mark and the nine month mark is it more so the athletes turn to decide how much they're willing to rehab and um and try to get back on that knee, or is it more so the doctor's discretion as to? Hey, you actually should wait for the year mark, or you should wait for another like three to four months uh, before you try getting on this knee. Like, is it whose question should you listen to—the athletes themselves or to the physicians at that time?
0: Um, so the correct answer is yes. All okay. the all yeah. the above, and and more. You know, you want to get feedback from the athletic trainers who are working with these athletes on a daily basis, who are helping them prepare. Or four practices, you know, in the training room who are working with them in the weight room and the strength and conditioning coaches and the physical therapists who are helping them through, throughout their rehab, you want input from everybody. Right. It's It ends up being a group decision based on all those factors from each uh, mm. specialist, including the athlete, because nobody knows their body more right. so than the, the patient or the athlete, right? So, you know, you want to get feedback from everybody. You want to get input. You want to get advice. Um, you know, but you also gotta remember there's a lot of physiology involved too. There are points along the recovery process where physiologically, no matter how good the athlete feels, we know from all the studies and research that we've been doing over the years, that we can always reference that the ligament itself takes about that long to mature and basically take on microscopically the characteristics of a new ligament. So anything that you do before that, you run the risk of compromising that healing and potentially preventing that maturation of the new ligament from occurring, and you don't want to do that. So one way that we are able to do that is by getting feedback from the athlete. We examine them. Do they have a lot of swelling in their knee? Is the swelling happening uh, on the times that they're doing strenuous activities as part of their rehab? You know, have they been able to progress through the rehab? Can they, you know, Have they made it to the point where they can start jogging in a straight line without getting swelling or pain in the knee, without feeling any instability in the knee? Um, We can do objective tests to look at strength of the muscles around the knee and compare it to the opposite side. You know, we have values that we can look at to kind of see where they're at as far as percentile for their age, height, weight, all these things, right? We can have all these scientific numbers and everything that we can use to gauge. And you can bet that at the professional level, they have all these resources available to them. And it becomes more challenging when you start going down into the collegiate and amateur ranks and then the recreational athletes. It becomes more of a, hey, how do you feel? you know you're at 9 months you look good you feel okay and you know that person or athlete might be like yeah man i feel great like i'm just going to go do it and sometimes um you know it works out and sometimes unfortunately it doesn't uh, but now nowadays more so than not um it it works out and most people get back to doing what they were doing but you know with this type of surgery and with a lot of surgeries in general it sometimes takes about 12 to 18 months before people are really back to what they were before the injury as far as um, psych, 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 You know, psych, psychology. You know, hey, I feel good. I'm mm-hmm. not scared about twisting or planting on that knee. You know, I don't have any apprehension about doing what mm-hmm. I was doing before. Um, and strength, right? You, you know, maybe your numbers as far as your squats or your leg presses or whatever exercises you're doing now, you're doing the equals on both sides. Um, there's no more swelling. Yeah. You have no pain, no soreness when you're done with activity. So all those things kind of play into it. But, you know, these yeah, are great I questions. Think, um, and these are questions I get a lot of times. So. All right,
2: good. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, too, um, something I thought was was pretty interesting is going back to another documentary, this is The Last Dance, and they had Tim Grover on. Tim yes. Grover was Michael Jordan's trainer, Toby Bryant's trainer. Oh, yeah. And he talked about how um, he's kind of, I guess, the, I guess he has an old school mentality about training where yeah. he had, um, you know, Michael Jordan, when he came back to baseball, they had a thing called workout regimen. But apparently, uh, I think what I remember is he he really wanted to focus Michael Jordan on weight training, and he really wanted to build up his muscles to help with his explosiveness. Um, Grover also made a comment about how today athletes are getting hurt all the time because of new training practices and that it's not like good old just lifting weights and stuff. So as someone who encounters these injuries all the time, um, what are you noticing? It, are these injuries that athletes are standing today are they different than the ones that they were experiencing maybe 30 to 40 years ago? Or were the injuries that they had 30, 40 years ago the same as they, they were just not reported nor treated the same that they are uh, reported and treated on today?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I get this question all the time, too. And I hate this question because I hate... I, I don't go deep into the literature on this, even though there's been a lot of studies that were right. have been done. Um, because I feel like it just mm-hmm. gets really skewed. And, you know, I, I don't... I, I think it just gets the attention on it becomes really driven by the media and by the high-profile mm-hmm. athletes that we see getting hurt. But you know, there are athletes that sustain these injuries all the time that I see in my office all the time. But it's only when you know, Kobe Bryant ruptures his Achilles or Derrick Rose ruptures his ACL yep. that everyone makes a big deal out about it. You know? And God forbid if like, Derrick Rose mm-hmm. ruptures his ACL and OBJ does it in the same year. Like, then it's like, oh my God, everyone's rupturing the race field. No, it just so happened that these two stars did it at the same time. Um, You know, and oh my God, they were both on turf when it happened. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of people that do it on natural grass, too. And in fact, you know, all that stuff's been looked at. There's been a little bit of a correlation between the skilled players, like running backs and receivers, that maybe they have a little bit higher incidences of certain injuries on turf or synthetic field versus natural grass. But is it enough to like, Make every uh, stadium in the world convert to natural grass? No, that's never going to happen. Uh, that's just not financially, right. <laughs> you know, going to sway anything. But the only thing no, I can say, not. the only thing I can say with with some certainty, and I think this is also backed up by the literature, although like I said, I, I don't dive too deep into it, is what we see in younger athletes, uh, you know, adolescents and high schoolers. Um, we see a lot more of the more chronic injuries that we used to never see, because if you look at guys like Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, and even when I was younger, we all played multiple sports. You know, we, we played football in the, in the, or basketball in the fall and winter. And then we played baseball in the spring and maybe even soccer in the fall. So there was a, a lot less of these sports specialization going on than you see today. And so in the younger athletes, you definitely see some weird um, uh, injuries that you typically wouldn't have seen eight years ago because they were more common in yeah. uh, older patients who did more, like, sports-specific stuff or more focused on one sport, like marathoners and, you know, cross-country right. runners, like people who did one...
2: Do you think that... Di- I was going to ask, do you think the diversity that kids maybe experience when they sports the younger age is more beneficial because it potentially to out uh, maybe more of their body, introduces them to different styles of movement, um, increases their strength in different aspects, or do you think it's more detrimental in the fact that it could it be it's, uh, potentially putting more stress on one specific maybe um, joint or ligament or part of the body?
0: Yeah, so if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to overstress certain muscle groups and joints, and that's right. really what it comes down to. When you're, when you're doing multiple sports that require different um, – types of activities or movements and you're working different muscle groups in different ways then you're going to be a little bit more balanced as far as your physical fitness and your ability to adapt to stress on the body and uh, you know and basically stave off any major injuries and and cardiovascularly as well you're going to develop different parts of your cardiovascular system and your fast twitch and slow twitch muscle fibers and you know you're your um, anaerobic and aerobic uh, capacity is going to change because you're doing different types of sports that require different levels of intensity for different amounts of time. So it's it just makes yeah. sense to me. And I mean, that's just the way we were brought up and how we did things. And I, I think it does bear a lot of uh, truth even today based on what I've seen um, throughout practices I've worked and stuff. And you know we, we hear a lot about it. I mean, that's why they instilled the uh, the pitch count in Little League was because they knew that it was... <laughs> kids who were in high school were getting Tommy John surgery before they even injured their elbow. And that's not good. <laughs> you don't want that. So I mean, right. it, it, it's real. You know, it, it's real. Hey, listen, this has been a great conversation. We're going to take a quick break. So Jim stay with sure. us. Uh, I know we got some more stuff Absolutely. to talk about. I'm going to run through a commercial break here and then we're going to be back in just a minute. Um, you're listening to the injured list podcast, your host, Brian Scott. And we're here with uh, Jim Rogers, our, co-host for the evening and belly up media intern joining us from uh, the beautiful state, the peach state of Georgia. Uh, We'll be back right after this. Green is good, red is bad. My followers get $20 off their first ticket purchase using my code, InjuredListPod. Click on the link in the show notes and browse for your favorite events. Your next big night ever is waiting, and they have the tickets. All right, we're back. Jim, you there? You still with us? Of course. All right, we didn't still lose with you. Y'all. All right, we didn't lose you. Great. All right, well, so, I mean, we can go any direction here. We've, got, we've already hit on a ton of people. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, there's been some really cool uh, E30s or E60s and 30 for 30s on some pretty high-profile guys with some nasty injuries. We were talking about Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. I've talked a lot about Alex Smith kind of over that one. <laughs> but there was one that right. was very similar. And I couldn't remember the name, but you were gracious enough to look it up for us. Uh, The quarterback who originally started his career at UCF and then eventually came back to play after a nasty injury to his lower legs that was similar to Alex Smith, but almost resulted in his leg having to be amputated. Um, Who was that quarterback?
2: That is going to be Mackenzie Milton.
0: Yes. And so... I mean, if you're squeamish, don't look up the, the replay of the injury, but, uh, it's not for the faint of heart and it, it's a nasty injury. It's very similar as far as the mechanism of the injury. You know, he got tackled, got twisted around, um, the lower part of his leg broke and very gruesome. Uh, I don't, I don't, I know Alex Smith sustained an open injury where the bone came out through the skin. I'm, I'm assuming that McKinley did too, but. Um, the big difference between the two was that Alex Smith dealt with a major infection after he had surgery to to fix the leg, whereas uh, Milton um dealt with a severely injured uh, artery, I think, and vein and some vascular structures that almost led to them having to amputate a leg because of a vascular injury. So, uh, big difference as far as the issue that made this such a bad injury and what's remarkable in both cases both guys came back to play uh, Alex Smith in the NFL which is amazing you know I knew that when he came back it was going to be short-lived because you could just see he wasn't going to be able to really be mobile enough to to be effective anymore unfortunately yeah, but it, it looked um, like
2: he was moving around on spills yeah. like it, it, you just tell that the, the knee wasn't there as part was and, and yeah. wisely I think he uh, you know he put it up after that season because there's no point in Rehabbing a, another injury like that. Oh, well,
0: there, there, and that's, well, the, the, who knows if there even would have been a, a, a chance to rehab it. It might have been, that would have been True. devastating. But, um, you know, I, I, I had hoped that when he came back, it would be more ceremonial. Turns out it was, which is a good thing. Um, the fact that he even came back at all and participated was amazing, let alone the fact that he actually started a few games um, and, and yeah. didn't get hurt. So thank, thank, thank God for that. <clears throat> um, and then the same thing with this uh, Milton kid, right? He, Transferred, ends up transferring to Florida State, um, played a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know if he's still playing, but, I mean, just the fact that the dude stepped back on the field is just absolutely incredible. Um,
2: Yeah. So. It, I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now, and, um, you know, the last, it looks kind of like the last time that he really had any, any playing time was back in uh, 2018, it seems like, but mm-hmm he was a part of the team. Um, he was you know, he, he's he been at Florida state and uh, uh, up and up and through the 2021 season. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah. 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 Amazing. Amazing. And then, you know, you got uh, other guys too, that have come back from major injury. I think that's kind of be the, the focus of the kind of conversation going forward here is guys that have had right. some devastating injuries, but yet been able to bounce back somehow. And uh, I had mentioned a few players to you uh, earlier. Um, One of them was uh, Willis McGahee, who had a horrific, horrific multi-ligament knee injury in college during one of the bowl games, I think. And, oh, my God, I mean, I didn't think this dude would ever come back to play. But not only did he, but he had a very successful NFL career for for several years. Absolutely. Many years, in fact.
2: Yeah, for me, I think the peak recovery, if you want to talk about devastating, it has to be um, Adrian Peterson. Yeah, um, and I I don't know of many other you know I know a couple of other athletes who have gone through something as bad as that, but when you tear up both of your legs and then you come within nine yards breaking the single season <laughs> rushing record, yeah, that, that that speaks volume. And then you have a career you continue to have a career in the NFL ten almost ten years after that injury. Yeah, is uh, it's pretty astounding.
0: Uh, so to be honest, he's in a category of his own. He is a a total what we call yeah. an outlier. He does not. Kind mm-hmm. of fall into the middle of that bell shaped curve at all. Uh, the dude's just a freak, right. you know. Whatever genetically uh, makeup he has, you know, we should all have a little because it's something special mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to that kind of I, stuff. I mean, it's you know to be able to uh, do what he did um, after an injury like that and all the injuries he had throughout his career is just pretty remarkable. I mean, that's he's he's kind of a separate person. I I don't like to bring him into these conversations. Because he just skews everything, right? Because he, you know, he he's that
2: much yeah, of an outlier. Like he
0: just, he just, he just messes up everything. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, who's another one? I think we were talking about another one too. There was um, uh, Teddy Bridgewater had a horrible, horrible yeah. uh, knee injury, a knee dislocation. He had, which is not what people typically think it is. It's actually the knee joint itself getting dislocated, not like your kneecap popping out. Okay, not like it's 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 potentially limb threatening. I mean, that's, you talk about vascular injury or nerve injury to the leg, oftentimes Mm -hmm. with a knee dislocation, which is what he had, that's what you end up with. So the fact that he had that injury and then is still playing football is also remarkable because there's been a lot of players, not a lot, but there's there's been people who've had that and barely walk again.
2: Yeah. I I think the other thing too, especially that I've seen him get twice knocked out in an nfl game yeah so i know always the concern has to be you know about concussion right. stuff And can tell luke keekley call it a career after nine years over concussion concern. Um a friend of mine even in high school had to deal with concussion issues but you know that culminates with the fact that he's seen as a guy who was meant to be relatively mobile not any kind of burner but somebody that could extend plays role to the pocket suffering that knee injury and then he you know he's kind of had a resurgence with um the Broncos for a little bit. I know he was last on uh, the Panthers, so so hopefully he can find a you know continue to find a role, probably as a backup. But um, you know, able to still come back from those injuries to me is always impressive.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable even to me because uh, you don't see it very mm-hmm. often. I, I don't see it very often. In fact, yeah. um, you know, uh, speaking of guys, we mentioned concussions, and that's a whole other topic too. I don't like mm-hmm. to get into that too too much because I'm not kind of in that yeah. world anymore. But um, you know, I mean, there's been plenty of guys whose careers have been cut short and marred by concussion. Uh, and to me, it, hockey's probably the worst one, unfortunately, because for some reason, they still don't seem to want to do much to protect their head, um, despite all the research that's out there. So you look at guys like Eric Lindros. I mean, even look at Sidney Crosby, man. I mean, this dude has gotten his bell rung so many times. You know, you have to worry about his long-term health at this point. And I mean, he's just one concussion away from having to retire. And it's unfortunate yeah. to see because Lindros was one of the best players um, of, of my era growing up watching. But you know, every time the dude had a great year or looked like he was going to be a superstar, um, he'd get another concussion and then we wouldn't see him for a while. And then, you know, one became two, yeah. two became multiple. And then sure enough, he retired at a young age, never quite having fulfilled you know, the the outlook of his career. Um, and, you know, Sidney Crosby's been very successful, but, you know, you, you have to wonder, like, what it would have been if he uh, didn't miss as much time to concussions.
2: Yeah, I the, the yeah, I, I think, especially now, with the whole resource, especially in the NFL about concussions, um, it has to be a top priority for a lot of these players to consider. I mean, nobody wants to be losing their mind at 50, but that's a lot of risk that some of these players um, especially in hockey and the NFL um, has to take into account now is that yes, you have the opportunity to make a ton of money, but it's going to be worth it in 30 years down the road. If you can't remember where you're going and uh, you know, you have mood mood swings, swings you have almost like bipolar um, tendencies with that. So it's, it's it's pretty rough. Um, the other thing I guess I wanted to bring up to you is a, is a female athlete that I'm, I'm pretty impressed with too. And, and her kind of struggle with injury and, and kind of finding, I guess, herself in her lane after having an injury is Lolo Jones. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her story at all.
0: Um, just a little bit. But I know she ended up mm-hmm. leaving. She was, was it basketball? And uh, that, she or was, no, she, she was, was track and hurler. field, right? Track.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And then she ended up joining the bobsled team because she couldn't run track anymore because right. of her injuries. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so she um so she had a kind of a disappointing uh campaign in the early two thousands, like the 08, 07, um world championships, um and stuff and then she decided to switch over to bobsledding. Um that's something that she kinda of figured that hey, you know, I kinda of have the skill sets to do this, I can be a part of the team and she became and she put on some weight, uh had to get some warmer gear, but then was able to compete of course for the Olympics, the highest level for team USA. Yeah. And uh, had some pretty good success with that, so I think that's always kind of impressive. Uh, somebody who's able to make a career change like that, and then still, of course, compete at the at the highest level. Um, I guess the question for you though is: of all the athletes we've kind of discussed so far, and if we haven't, um, feel free to mention them. But who is um, who are um, maybe two or three of the athletes that you've seen uh, make the biggest, I guess, lead or had kind of the best career post injury. Um, that you've encountered in in your professional career or is just an observer Uh, as as a fan like the rest of us? Yeah, I
0: can't think of anybody that I've actually encountered or treated myself, um, Mm -hmm. you know, off the top of my head. But um, I can certainly remember athletes looking back that had injuries that I now understand the severity and the potential um, uh, risk to their career that they had that Mm -hmm. ended up having remarkable careers. One. Was Dominique Wilkins. Uh, He had, he actually ruptured his Achilles tendon like his second or third year in the league. He was young and then had to have it repaired and didn't even get to the peak of his career until well after that. And that's pretty amazing because you look at a guy like Kobe toward the end of his career, ruptured his Achilles and he was never quite the same after that and then ended up retiring a couple of years later. So, you know, that that injury um, can certainly be very devastating, especially as you get further along in your career, which is when it typically happens. So the fact that, Dominique Wilkins had a Achilles tendon rupture and repair and then still succeeded at a super high level. It's amazing. Um, He stands out as one. Um, I think there has been, I mean, if you can look across all the sports, there's been some remarkable, remarkable recoveries and um, athletes. And I consider race car drivers, athletes as much as the next sport. Um, I mean, there's been a myriad of race car drivers that have basically almost been killed that have come back to get in yeah. their car and drive and be successful. Um, and, you know, you just look at recently, Jean, um, uh, one of the um, uh, car drivers, uh, who was basically crashed into a railing on the side of the track, and um, basically the car engulfed in flames. And the dude got burned, like, mm-hmm. on a significant portion of his body, some pretty significant burns, and basically, yeah. like, within a, a few weeks was like, let's go, let's do it, um, and then there was another indie racer, and I his name escaped me off the top of my head. Uh, was it George Incliffe, maybe who uh, crashed really had a really bad wreck at Pocono and basically was paralyzed and have suffered multiple spinal fractures and stuff. He's basically in a wheelchair, but right actually had come back and started driving again using hand control, so I mean. You could probably go down the list of all the sports and find some even more incredible stories. Yeah. I, I will tell you that you, you've, mm-hmm. uh, I will tell you that there's been a couple of athletes that I wish never got hurt, and I feel like we never really saw their full potential. Um, Grant Hill's probably yeah. one of the ones that I remember most vividly because yeah. I grew up watching him play at Duke. Grant Hill,
2: Penny Hardaway. Yeah, Penny Hardaway. Brady.
0: Grant Hill had a bunch of ankle yeah. problems and... Uh, multiple ankle sprains and and surgeries and probably developed some really bad arthritis in that ankle as time went on, which is what really hampered him and probably ended his career short and Penny Hardaway too. He had a bunch of uh, cartilage damage in his knee, had multiple procedures, including microfracture, basically uh, kind of did him in toward the end of his career as well. But those guys never, I feel like yeah. they had just started peaking when they kind of got cut down. So I don't think we ever really saw the full, you know, uh, capability what those guys could do on the court unfortunately but um they those two yeah, kind of stand brandon out yeah
2: brandon roy is another one brandon roy yeah, yeah i would say brandon yeah brandon roy is another one that jumps out to me yep. um and then also back to kind of where you were talking about especially when race i think the most famous kind of race car driver to come back from a pretty devastating injury is a nikki lauda oh who, yes Who drove in in f1 mm-hmm. back in the uh, you know back in the 70s and the 80s so somebody like him is somebody who immediately jumps out car
0: yep, for sure, Anna. And uh, I live in uh Charlotte, North Carolina now, and uh, I treat a lot of these yeah. guys. Um, I can't say who, but um, oh, I, I've seen right. some pretty nasty stuff, and these guys are still racing, mm-hmm. and it's pretty amazing. And I give them all the credit right. in the world, they, they've, they've 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 they're tougher than most people will ever know. <laughs> um, oh, bro, I the things they and, come and back they from, do,
2: they, they never get the credit, they deserve either, and the you fact know, know, that they just don't the have any fear,
0: right. like doesn't even touch them psychologically. Yeah. That's what blows my mind more than anything, I think, It's just they just don't have any fear to get back in that car and do <laughs> those things. It's just, yeah, I mean, you have to be a certain type of individual, I guess, to be able to do it. But, um, yeah. Dude, great conversation. Well, I think we're going to start wrapping it up. Yeah. It's getting late. I got to work in the morning. Sure. I'm sure you got some stuff to do. Yeah, here. no, no,
2: no. But, I, hey, listen. i we'll let you go. I guess this,
0: uh, yeah, tell t- me. I want you to, before you go, um, tell everybody, where we can find Jim Rogers. What are you up to these days with Belly Up Media? What's your role? What are you working on over there at the uh, network? And uh, if people want to reach out to you, maybe they have a suggestion for a show or maybe a topic that they want covered, how do they get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, so right now I am a Belly Up uh, Media social media intern. So my goal primarily or my job has been just to kind of monitor the Twitter account and um just trying to promote the live and stuff however if you guys want to give me a follow on twitter my ad is at james underscore rogers it's rogers r-o-g-e-r-s 103 um i usually just post and retweet sports stuff Nothing too crazy um additionally you guys need to for sure check out some of the great live shows that we have on bellium tv like the injured which which you're listening to right now and then some of the other podcasts we have are great and um yeah and then we also this is just kind of in the uh kind of in the early, very early stages, um, we might be doing a show uh, just for the intern where we're just going to have the interns uh, create a live show, talk about what it's like being in the sports field and uh, you know, kind of give our experiences and tell a little bit of you know where we can talk about what it's like uh, getting into the field. So that might be around the corner.
0: That sounds awesome. That's a great idea. I actually look forward to, to hearing that. And then don't forget about the merch, dude. Don't forget about the merch.
2: Yeah,
0: we're excited
2: about
0: it. Yeah, I'm wearing wearing the belly up. Oh yeah, shirt come now. check out our merch too. Yeah. Belly up. <laughs> oh. Yep, I got the I got one of the two that I have on now. So, um, nice and comfortable. Actually, very nice, red quality here. But uh, all right, Jim, oh, thanks yeah, for jumping on here. with us. Thanks for uh, having some great conversation and some really good topics and interesting questions. We really appreciate that here at the Injury List because that's what I do. That's why I'm here help you guys out with your fantasy rosters. You have questions about an injured player. You're not sure what to do. Hit me up. You can email me. You can message me. Hit my social media handles uh, at host Brian Scott on Twitter, the injured list podcast on Facebook and Instagram, or you could just go to the injured on the web and you can message me there as well. Don't forget. I've got some sponsors by SeatGeek and Fanatics. I've got some links where you guys can get some discounts on ticket and merch. Uh, purchases. So check out those links. You can find those on my website or my social media pages as well. And um, thank you to Belly Up Media and to Jim for helping me out big time, getting a lot of things going here for this next uh, football season, which is what I'm really kind of gearing up to, hoping to bring video more regularly to the podcast. And uh, Jim was very patient with me this evening while I tried to get all that going. Unfortunately, I couldn't bring him on with the camera, but at least we got him in the studio to it's talk. Right. So
2: um, Yeah, that's right. It's, it's totally fine. I didn't, stay, I didn't shave this morning, so you saved <laughs> me there big time.
0: Yeah, well, I'm guilty of that too. So, But uh, we appreciate your, your helping us out and coming on to talk. So uh, to everybody else out there, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, don't forget to check out the, the, the website and the social media stuff and Belly Up Network, of course. They got a lot of other great podcasts that are really fun and entertaining, so check them out. And uh, as always, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active.